Today's show is brought to you by Grammarly, an intelligent writing app. Download Grammarly's browser extension and create a free Grammarly account at www.getgrammarly.com forward slash holy backboard. Let's go! Alright everybody, welcome to the 176th edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I'm Dustin here in Rip City and I got my man Sage chilling here. Um, Damn dude, basketball's here and I'm loving it. We had a kind of a rough week with that last game, but we're here to talk about it. I think it's been an incredibly trying season already six games in for for blazer fans everywhere right now the blazers are sitting at three and three they have had an incredibly difficult schedule four of those six games have been away from the row city portland has not been able to protect home court and in every single loss they have blown a double digit lead and in the case of two games that happened this week against the San Antonio Spurs down in the Alamo City, and last night against the 76ers, the Blazers blew gigantic opportunities. And it's okay, though. Uh, I think in years past, we would be having this podcast, and there may be some, some urgency or some panic maybe in my voice, maybe in your voice, Sage, of where are we going to go from this? Are the Blazers okay? This is a different team. This is a different franchise. And it's just parts of the ebbs and flows of an NBA season. It's not... I don't think the first six games are an indicament of where this team will end up. And I think mm. that's important for our fans out there and our listeners to, to take a holistic approach with this team. And to be a hundred percent honest, it may not even happen this year. I think we all kind of glossed over the fact myself included that Yusuf Nurkic is not going to return until 2020. We don't even know what time And we don't even know what his learning curve is going to be. Mm -hmm. We said that, but I don't think we really processed what that what that means, because you're bringing in a completely new starting caliber center in Hassan Whiteside. Zach Collins was brought in. Yes, he had experience playing, but not at at this this role, at Mm -hmm. this level, playing these minutes against these starters. It's a completely new world for him. And then you're bringing in a bunch of new rotation players in Hazonia and Bazemore. Simons, who is ultra talented, is now getting ushered into that sixth man uh, of the year position. Third guard rotation. A lead guard, a lot of responsibility on his shoulders. And on top of that, we were just handed one of the most difficult 20 game slates that I Mm. can remember as a Blazer fan. And in years past, there would be some panic at a three and three start and at how we're not able to really put our foot down on, on the opponents and keep the, keep the gas on the pedal. And it's different this year. And I say that because I truly believe in this team and I don't want to make it seem like I didn't believe in teams past, but I think if we're being honest with ourselves, 
the the 15 16 blazers that were projected to win 23 games and went on to face the warriors in the second round of the playoffs that team got by off of scrap off of mm. playing with the utmost urgency and they just outwilled their opponents they mm. played that entire year like westbrook did after durant left and averaged a triple double they played with a gigantic chip on their shoulders essentially saying fuck you to the rest of the nba fuck you to the rest of the media and that was their MO. That's what got them over the hump. But we really never added a lot of talent from 15-16 up until even the year we got swept against the Pelicans, which was which was two years ago. Last year after the deadline, getting Ennis Cantor, getting a Rodney Hood, that really infused this roster with legitimate NBA talent mm-hmm. that could contend. And we saw how it paid off. They were able to dismiss OKC in five. They went seven against Denver winning in the mile high city. And then they went to the Western conference finals this year's roster. It is incomplete and that is due to injury, but it is so much better. And I've already seen the flashes from the individuals that I can tell this roster is, is it's championship caliber. And the best thing about it is it's not done and it's not done in my opinion on a couple of levels. Obviously you have, have the injuries to Nurkic and, and Zach Collins, but what Neil O'Shea has in front of him at the deadline, whether it's at the buyout market mm-hmm. or it's trading a, a large expiring contract to fill that, that final void. And what I don't think Neil O'Shea will do is, is make a panic trade. Like this team is set up for the long haul. Yes, I know the NBA is wide open this year. There's no Durant. He went out east. He's also out for the year with his Achilles. There is no Golden State Warriors right now. Klay Thompson's out. Steph's out. Draymond's out. D'Angelo's out. They are obviously tanking. I know it feels like it's open for just this year, but the window, it's going to continue to be open. There are no super teams, and I expect that trend to continue. This roster is young, Sage. Mm -hmm. Dame's not 30. Dame's 29. CJ's... 28 Rodney's 27 Zach's I believe going to turn 22 this year Nurk's 25 I mean then you've got Penny who's 20 I mean you've got all of these young pieces Baze Mm. isn't even 30 I mean Scal is looking like the player who we thought he was going to be coming out of the draft there's a lot of young talent and even our vets are pretty young so Even if this year, and I know it's tough because it's our 50th anniversary year and a person like me, I'm incredibly nostalgic. Even if it isn't this year and we get bounced in the first round, it it is okay. It is not the time to panic. This team is set up and and for the, for the long haul. And what I mean by that is once we get our team healthy, I truly believe they are the best team in the league. The way Dame's playing, the way we know CJ can contribute – Rodney Hood is the player that I expected him to be. I mean, the guy, he's, I'll say, he's hes better than Tobias Harris right now. And you look at what Philly is paying Tobias Harris. Like, give me Rodney Hood any damn day of the week. And then you've got young Zach, you've got young Nurk, you've got a trade asset in Hassan or Bays. Bays plays incredible defense. You've got Simons, you've even got Nasir Little riding you've the bench. You've got Gary Trent Jr., who's probably tradable. And you've got scout and i've been incredibly impressed with mario hozonia this is a roster dude was double double and triple double threat last night man 
I mean, I, I just really like this roster. And, and right now it's it's not in alignment with with whatever for whatever reasons. But just give it some time. It, it may be a, a rough year and we may not win as many games as we did last year. We may not go as far in the playoffs as we did last year. But we all know, we all knew, excuse me, heading into the season that we weren't going to get last year's version of Nurkic until the following season. Yeah. Fall of 2020, we're looking at a year from that was when our beast is going to be fully rejuvenated. Speaking of our beast, did you see his suit on yesterday? I saw it from the stands. I Dude, was right? all about that. Right? That shit looked dope. And uh, since we were both at that game yesterday, did you buy that $50 vinyl of all eight oh. games? <laughs> I was clutching my pearls at that price point, bro. It's That shit's insane, man. Don't, I would have paid anything for that, man. We're, first, we're talking vinyl. We're talking about Bust a Bucket, Rip City, Rhapsody. Wait, can, can did I you get cop? Hell yeah, I copped. Oh my god. Everyone, dude, those things were flying off the shelves. Like, that is a genius marketing idea. Like, I'm honestly scared at what they're going to come up with for every decade night because my wallet is going to be hurting. Um, I already know they're going to give out, if you were at the game, either the opening opening night preseason game at the Coliseum or 70s night. Um, if you're familiar with the early 90s Blazers memorabilia, Bank of America, and the Blazers put together these illustrated kind of like lithographs. And there was the starting five, and I have them hanging up in my Blazer room. But it looks like they're replicating those based upon the decade nights. And, and I, my goal is to get uh, multiple sets, um, obviously frame it, find a place to put it. But, I mean, the Blazers are doing a really fantastic job marketing this, this 50th anniversary season. If you go by the Rose Quarter Concourse, They've got every year on the polls uh, with rosters, with facts, with original artwork. Um, just the aesthetic from everything is is wonderful. And you look at the court, you look at the jerseys. Like there's no better aesthetic in sports, in my in my opinion. And there's just something to be proud about. I mean, you look at the. I mean, no offense to C.J. McCollum, but you look at the Cleveland Browns and the they're working with brown and orange. Like we actually get something nice to look at. And to me, that means a lot. You're rocking the gear. You want to look good. Man. Uh, yeah. The price point on $50 vinyl was just like, nope, nope, nope. It's a collector's item. Yeah. But I, that $50 up front, bruh. Yeah. It's, a I, I, and I, I mean, I gave you money to buy me a sweatshirt. That sweatshirt right now is going to do me a little bit more than, I mean, the, the vinyl sweatshirt. record. Regular sweatshirt or collector's edition vinyl with see all of these songs like matter. You, to me. It meant something to you. Yes, I was not exactly. I was, yeah, I, but damn. So it, it's I didn't get it. So like I mean I have listened to it. Don't get me wrong. I just finished it up before we recorded this podcast. <laughs> Hell yeah, bro! But I didn't get it just to to listen. I I got it so they knew that I can listen to it. Like thankfully, when I worked with the team, uh, I worked with my buddy Justin. And he had all of the MP3s. And so I do have them on my phone. So I, I have a Blazers kind of like playlist that I can uh -huh. listen to. But to have them on vinyl. It uh, means something. And I get that. It is cool. My only complaint is like there were a couple songs where I'm like, ah, they definitely should have added that. But it just it brings back memories of me sitting in the car, getting ready to go meet, you know, Jerome Kersey or Robert Pack or Clyde Drexler. And we would play those tapes like I had those tapes. You'd go to G.I. Joe's and. 
you'd buy the tapes, you'd maybe get your VHS to recap the season, like <laughs> every you're showing your age up. That last sentence it shows 30, your age. Thirty four and proud, Sage. <laughs> it, it, let, let's go. Like there's I mean, no yeah. feeling good, and I, I just I just think they're doing a really fantastic job. I mean, everything is tied together nicely. I mean, they even had the original pinwheel last night as our logo on, mm. on the jumbotron and you know the font is the original 70s font so i just think they're, they're doing a, a magical job and, and that's that's another reason why i wish we were having a better season but again it, it's game six, six this yeah. team traditionally under terry stotts and damian lillard they just don't hit their stride until you know february and i i think we could expect that again because a that's when our players are going to start to get healthy B, they're going to get acclimated with one another. We infused a lot of new talent into this roster. And lastly, our schedule lights, you know, mm. lets up a bit. I mean, those three factors combined, you know, I think we're going to make a strong push. And is it going to be a strong push to get the eighth seed? Is it going to be a strong push to get home court advantage? I don't know. But as long as this team is healthy and they go into the playoffs, I don't give a shit if we're playing Kawhi or LeBron or Russ I think we have a chance to to ruin a lot of team seasons in the playoffs and upsets. And I know the media may have a, a field day with it because they all predicted it was going to happen, but you can't predict injuries. And frankly, mm-hmm. you know, it's Blazers over everything. So uh, before we get break down the games of the last week, bro, I was sitting next to some like family friends of Matisse Thibel during the game. And I was just like, Damn, he is such a good defensive player, and they they just were so hyped for every time he stepped on the court on those rotations. He was just they were just so happy for him. And dude, he he is a very good defensive player. Right. I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean Dame torched that, that. I mean, I thought their defense was absolute trash last night. I mean, we put up what one twenty five without a hundred in the first three quarters. That's uh, yeah. what. I mean, yeah. So I couldn't I mean, be that I, mean. But did you deal with saying, a, like? Did I, I didn't do, want to give them too much credit because I thought the officiating was very. Did you see Mario Hazonia get slapped on like three baseline cuts? Like you heard, you audibly. I at least I audibly heard the skin on skin t- contact. Um, I mean, man. whether it was that or CJ catching the ball and not moving and calling a backcourt violation. That was insane. Yeah. I mean. On a lot of those turnovers in the third and fourth, I mean, they were getting a little handsy, really physical. Like, I just, I mean, our guys were falling on the floor. They weren't calling anything. Bazemore, or excuse me, Hood goes out of the game because Simmons sets a moving screen. I, I just thought the officials were were pretty garbage last were night. Were there a lot of uh, bandwagon ass fans where you were in the 300s? No, there was a guy and his son, and he was quiet the whole game. Like he just obviously there. No, I res- I respect anybody that like sticks with their team, but there was a lot of front runners where I was at, and there was one dude in particular I was hoping to God would win so I could talk crap. Like God, damn, that dude was annoying. Just holding up the three signs, and I was like, man, did you know who played on your team during the tank era? Are you just a a bandwagoning jerk? Cause oh he was he was getting me annoyed man and oh annoyed Sage is a much bigger asshole than a uh, normal me but <laughs> goddamn uh but that dude first game of the year for me and it was 
it was an exciting game. I know some shit happened that we didn't like, but uh, let's go on to the let's talk about the first game of this slate of uh, games that the Blazers had this week. I mean, I think the only takeaway from this game is that Damian Lillard is a bad motherfucker and you are really never out of a game when he is on the floor. Like, But I was yelling at at the coaching staff, not yelling, but I was just like kind of over it. I was like, we're down tonight. Just, just empty the bench, Terry. I'm over it. I can't believe we blew this 19-point lead. Mm. And then all of a sudden, Dame just goes like incredibly nuclear and to be honest, I'm surprised we didn't win that game. Dame had some looks. Tolliver had a look at three. And then the last one went went in and out. I mean, that's just one where it just wasn't meant to be. But again, that's a game where I felt okay because San Antonio had to do whatever they could. I mean, Patty Mills was hitting shit. I mean, Marco. I mean, L.A. did nothing. And, and they still were able to, to, to get that get that win. But... What do you think Just, of Jante Murray? He looked he looked back to his old old self. I mean, like, I he, he he's looks never like going to be an all star, but he's he's a really solid player. He looks like he was. I know he's taking usage away from Lamarcus and uh, Demar Derozan. Why am I saying he looks? I know he does. So there's a big difference between their production levels when he's out and when he's in. So he's out every back to back. The second game of a back to back, Dejounte's out, and that's when. Demar and Lamarcus actually play better, and uh, White actually gets the starting minutes. But Derek, Derek White is the one I'm more, much more impressed with. Like he was the one that came back and had a couple of stop the bleeding buckets. Mm-hmm. Which when you're down 19 with five minutes to go, all I mean, it takes perfection on Portland's part to make that comeback. Derek White had a couple of big buckets that were just enough to to run out the clock, and so. Of their guards, you know, we're talking Mills, Forbes, Murray, and White. I think White is by far the best of the bunch. It sucks that he has a a guy that's more uh, established in front of him. But maybe maybe in the future, when they don't have Demar Derozan taking mid range jumpers, they'll just run a two guard line, uh, two small point guard lineups with with those guys. Well, and I mean, we also White, we also White. didn't have Zach Collins for that game too. And and Hassan was healthy the full game. Yeah. And th- I think Tol- – wait, no. Tolliver was there in the last play, but I think we ran Hassan Whiteside in the finishing five until, like, the last few possessions. This well, I mean, was the, the – The was finishing the, five was really just, just Damon and four other people in, in, in blazer white jerseys. It was – I mean, it was really good to see Hassan get that extended rotation because it's, it's hard to get, you know, those – to get those extra – you know, blocks and rebounds of points when you sit out that last rotation of the game. And since Zach was injured, Hassan got some of that uh, extra, that last rotation. Yeah, it wasn't, I didn't feel like Hassan had the impact that he should have had uh, against a Spurs team that starts LaMarcus Aldridge and, and Trey Lyles. Trey, Anthony Tolliver outplayed Trey Lyles. I don't want to hear any contradiction to that fact Anthony Tolliver as as getting the start played well again he needs to make his threes he missed another wide open one in the, in the Philly game um because that's what we brought him in to do but I did like his defensive help uh he was a very intelligent player made a lot of hockey made, assists yes he is killing it with the uh, uh, hockey assist this the this week it, he 
dude, it's nice to have a guy that can move the ball. I mean, the last 10 years of Blazers basketball, we've dealt with the LaMarcus Aldridge black hole on offense. So it's nice to just see someone willingly do a skip pass or kick it to the guy in the corner. Man, like, I was I was completely and utterly satisfied with uh, how he played that game. And as is the case from last week when we talked about the Dallas Dallas game, this was a classic case against the Spurs of what we're likely to see from this Trailblazer team. I think probably for the foreseeable future until they get much more acclimated with, with one another. You have the Blazers outscoring the Spurs by 14 in, in the first quarter, going up by, by as much as 19. And then they put 40 on them, basically 39 points in that fourth quarter. But it was that second and third quarter stretch, including uh, getting outscored 37 to 20 in the third quarter, where you really saw just how green this Blazer team is. And they don't quite know each other in terms of their tendencies and what to do. And you could tell they were all trying to win the game themselves. In that third quarter in particular, it was hero ball centric, right? Hero ball. It was a lot of one pass and shoot. It was a lot of rushed threes, a lot of contested jumpers it just wasn't that free flowing ball movement that we saw in that first quarter. And it frankly wasn't Dame taking over and going into the paint and getting better opportunities in the fourth quarter. Mm. And we're going to see that until this team gets comfortable with one another, there's going to be stretches where they look like the best team in the West. And there's going to be stretches where you're like, I don't know if this team's going to make the playoffs. Mm. And so frankly, that's, that was my takeaway from the Spurs game. The Spurs are four and one in the Western conference. To be absolutely honest, if we played them even without home court advantage, we're sweeping their asses in the postseason. That that team of all one of of all the teams out west just does not scare me at all. I'm I'm sorry, Jamar DeRozan, whatever. You know, it, it's crazy when like the Blazers media uh, talked about the missed jumper because they oh they assume it's going in every time it's a clutch situation, and for them to you know not have it go in is kind of a shocker and that's how good Damian Lillard is in the clutch that we are we made a big deal about a missed game winning three also I want to shout out Anthony Tolliver on that screen to generate that much space for Damian Lillard on that I mean that was a beautiful play out of of timeout Mm. you got 2.2 or 1.2 seconds left excuse me and you know, just for a second, I thought we were going to get some revenge from the Memorial Day Miracle Game 2 99 when Sean Elliott hit a, hit a shot in a similar spot with his feet inbounds, his heels out of bounds, but he was above it and he just hit that Miracle 3. Thought we were going to get, thought we were going to get some. You know, if we had the challenge in 19. No, he, he was inbounds. <laughs> no, he was in the, all of the oh, replays. Oh, wait, I, rem- I would remember this now, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I it, it defied physics, but he was he was in bounds, and I, I just thought for a second we were going to get some, some some karma, but it, it wasn't meant to be. Thankfully, we get another chance at San Antonio in San Antonio later on this month, and you best believe that the Blazers are going to have have a little chip on their shoulder when they go in there as well. But moving on to OKC, so Portland unfortunately dropped that contest against the Spurs. 120 or excuse me 113 to 110 they go into OKC they're finishing up the the fourth game of a road trip it was ugly it was 
painful to watch at times. But the Blazers found a way to win 102-99 in what I thought was a must-win game, mm. just given the, the talent disparity between the teams. And, and frequently, or excuse me, and frankly, they just needed to find a way to get a win. Like going 3-1 and one on this road trip was sensational. And I don't even think at full strength you look at this road trip preseason, you're like, okay, Dallas always gives us problems in Big D. San Antonio's been tough to beat at home lately. Sacramento, it's their home opener. Blazer teams historically have struggled in Sacramento. And then you got OKC, which kind of is a trap game because it's the last game on, on a road trip. And they're obviously not as talented as they were before. Three and one. I mean, you take that in yeah, you take a week. It. it was fantastic road trip. My first thought when I was watching that game was... I know, I know from previous games that Chris Paul loves to make Damian Lillard mad, and that's the thing throughout their careers. He tries harder to piss off Damian Lillard. Remember the Clippers game where he uh, did a last second free, stole the ball, and did a last second. I think uh, that was when you stole Houston. Okay, okay, it was Houston. But but yes, so absolutely. There is a long history of those two players pissing each other off, and I think see Chris Paul absolutely loves to do it. And for the first half, I was just like, "Holy shit! Is Chris Paul finally washed? Did did Father did, is he bad now? Is he trash?" And I kept thinking about it and watching it as he was just so uber passive. Like he let Shea Gilders get his, he let Dennis uh, Dennis Schroeder get his. I was like, "Okay, is is it, is it really time that Chris Paul is now washed after all these years?" Nerlens Noel's getting rebounded. This was a weird game, and like. We pulled it out. It was dirty as hell. It was gross. It was a gross game, but we got the win. But I kept I kept waiting for that explosion of like usage from both of these guys who obviously do not like each other. They don't fuck with each other. And then in that fourth quarter, oh boy, I saw it, man. It was a Dame. It was Dame Lillard's uh, versus Chris Paul, just like in uh, just like five years ago, where they were just usage monsters. Whether it was assists or uh, them taking it to the hole themselves, they were they were getting busy that fourth quarter, and thank God Damian Lillard was just a little bit better. But I I I think this might be Shea Gilders Alexander's team, and uh, even if Chris Paul stays, like that dude's locked into his his role of being super duper aggressive at driving to the hole. I remember looking at the stats, and he's like seventy percent. He drives more than anybody else in the league. And he don't pass when he drives. It's like it's like a ninety four percent just taking him him taking the the rock and trying to score. Man, he, that dude don't pass. So he, I think he's in his his role, and I think Chris Paul is realizing that it, it might be Shea Gildress's team. I mean, I think if they're smart, they don't let a thirty five year old Chris Paul run be, shit. Be, be, yeah, exactly. And the, really, the only reason this game was close was because of the discrepancy at the foul line. OKC was able to get to the line 37 times compared to Portland's 24. And it really did take a, a, one of those classic Damian spurts. Mm. I think he hit two or three threes. And OKC fans were like, OK, here we go again. I, I've, I've seen this this movie before. I know how it ends. And, you know, it was a night where, frankly, no one shot the ball well outside of, you know, Kent Bazemore and, and Anthony Simons. But all that matters is a win. We're not going to remember. We're not going to remember this game at the end of the season as what it was. We're going to remember 
there was a W at the end of the score. You know, you had more points than the Thunder. Don't care how it looks. It counts. It all counts the same. Uh, what, do you, what were your thoughts on uh, Danilo Gallinari? I know with the, the he injury, scored a lot, but he injury didn't... to Zach Collins, people are saying, oh, we got to go out and get Danilo. But oh. I really wasn't. He impressed. scored a lot, but didn't have it. He didn't have that many like peripheral stats, but if I did remember. Did he score I, a lot though? Fifteen think, points. Oh, that's, that's no. How many that's shots did he lot. take? Fifteen. Yeah. Okay. I, I thought it was twenty on fifteen, but thank you for uh, correcting me on that. Um, I think he he's I. I don't think he's the type of guy we need for uh for this team. Uh, one last thing uh, about this game. I. I grew up a Hornet fan, so I, I remember this from Chris Paul saying, "The first two quarters, I get my teammates, of, I get my uh, bigs involved, so they feel motivated to run for me. The second and third, I get the wings involved, and the fourth quarter, I take over." I think Damian's kind of on that strat, except he switched the wings and the posts, and he takes over in the fourth. So it's just, it's just it's something I noticed, dudes. Dudes a third and fourth quarter killer. And I think it was after I think it was after the OKC game he was interviewed and he, yes, he ta- that that was some gems right there. He talked about playing with pace and making sure he had some kick left to him mm-hmm. when it counted the most. And if you watch the Raptors when they made their run to the championship, Kawhi Leonard had one of the best kicks that I have seen from an NBA player ever. I mean, he would literally just let the game come to him, pick his spots. And then when it was time to go, it was just like he was shot out of a cannon and he was hitting threes. He was hitting jumpers. He was just completely energized. And if Dame, with what we're seeing through the first six games, to me, that's really going to translate and help this team down the stretch because you are getting guys like Hazonia and Hood and you know, even Hassan Whiteside, you're you're building their confidence up early and you're letting them get involved all while you're saving your energy and hopefully the, the score is is within striking distance. Mm-hmm. And then you know you've got the best player on the court more times than not with more stamina left, more gas left in the tank than everyone else. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, there's going to be games like the closing game against OKC in the playoffs where nobody's hitting and he has to, he has to do it all by himself, but at least he's going to have more stamina this season and in the postseason to do that when shit ain't going right for the 12 other players on the court. So moving on to last night's heartbreaker, Philadelphia escapes 129, 128, Sage, there was a lot to take away from this game. Obviously, Joel Embiid doesn't play because of the suspension. Portland had Hassan Whiteside as a late scratch. So they were down Gasol, Nurkic, Whiteside, and Zach Collins. So four centers. Four centers and nobody else. (laughs) So outside of of Scalabissier, there was really no player taller than 6'9 on the court. Terry Stotts went with Anthony Tolliver as the starter and Mario Hazonia as the four. And... The reason why I say this game, I think this game was more valuable than than the result. First, I, I want to talk about Anthony Simons. And the Blazers let a lead dwindle, and they found themselves down a point. Final possession, 
Damian Lillard gets the ball. As soon as he crosses half court, there is a defender coming at him, a second defender, secondary defender. Every time we've seen this, I mean, this we have seen this movie before in the regular season and in particular the playoffs. Instead of having guys like Mo Harkless and Alfred Camino on the perimeter, you have CJ McCollum. I believe Anthony Tolliver was out there and Anthony Simons. This play right here was worth the price of admission alone. If you only watched one play, make sure it was this one. Because defenses now are going to have to pick their poison. Do I let Dame go up against my best defender one-on-one and maybe something like Chandler Parsons or Paul George happens to him? Or do I run him off the ball and make him be a facilitator, which he was, and kick it out to a spot-up shooter? Anthony caught that ball quickly let it fly and, and it was net you you just knew as oh he soon greened as, that jumper he you absolutely knew as it. soon as dame found him i was like this is gonna go in like i had the utmost confidence in him and that's gonna give defensive coaches a lot to think about come come april this is a huge development and i don't think it's being talked about enough because we're so accustomed to just being let down in those situations but we have legitimate options I mean, Hassan wasn't kidding when he said we got shooters mm-hmm. like this could really be a game changer for the Blazers down the stretch. And that's not even factoring in Anthony Simons is now clutch. I mean, he did it for us for 48 minutes against the Sacramento Kings and the regular season finale. He's now taking game winning shots. Sage, this is great for his development and his performance and his confidence as we go throughout the regular season and into the postseason, like this kid almost seems like he's cut from the same cloth as Damon CJ. So I, I want to talk about a possession before that where Anthony was dribbling up the court and then the Sixers sent help from Damian Lillard to uh, try and trap uh, Anthony. And I've just felt like that is such respect from the opposing team that they're going to send probably one of the best assassins, man, off them to try and trap a a guard that's uh, just so on fire that that game. Like, he, Anthony's starting to get respect from opposing teams and opposing coaches. And dude is living up to that and exceeding our expectations right now. And it's great to have that third legitimate ball handler on the court the court like we spent 16 mil per to find that third ball handler in Evan Turner and it wasn't as successful as just letting this rookie scale contract guy handle the ball and hit a very clutch corner three in the process I had a lot of opinions about this game that I think differ from what I've been seeing on Twitter and I I just want to ask you what was your opinion on Scalabissier in that game specifically against the Philadelphia 76ers. I thought Scal played fantastic. Okay. Uh, I mean, you I want to hear your reason why. I felt like whenever he was in the game, we were getting buckets at ease. I mean, he had so many plays where he was finishing around the rim. He needs to get stronger. We all know that he only got four rebounds, but when we are without so many players, you need other players to step up and provide what they're good at. I felt like he did what he is best at, and that's being efficient. You know, seven of nine, 15 points. He even had a couple of assists. I just felt like the ball was moving 
obviously he has some height. And frankly, I, I think putting every every instance in where we didn't get a rebound on Scal is unfair. It's because, completely and totally unfair. Because we were just undersized the whole night. Like, to be mm. honest, the fact that we even had a 20-point lead is given amazing. who we were going up against, it, yeah, it, it was amazing. Regardless um, of JoJo being out or in, the fact that we were in a position to win by such a large margin at one point in the game is huge. Yeah, leads disappear a lot faster now that the pace is a lot faster. But we were put in a very good position in that game from a lot of players playing some very good ball. Like Mario Hazonia killed it. Rodney Hood obviously killed it. Um, So for me, when I there was a, a set in the offense where um, Scalabissier was in the middle and he was trying to make the pass to a cutter and I know the statistics and the stat keepers didn't say it was his turnovers but it was his turnovers in my mind so there, there he was standing he's uh, top of the key like a nurse nurse spot and tried to hit the cutter it didn't work anytime because the windows were so tight and it worries me that he just tried to force it every time, and I know I'm nitpicking, but there was a lot of times where he was put in a position where he could either pass it or just keep it, go run to a guard so they can finish the motion. So it worried me about like his, I don't want to say basketball IQ, but like in that specific circumstances, either he wasn't put in a good position to succeed because he should be in the dunker spot. He should not be passing it. Exactly. That that was going to be my counterpoint is I think that's asking too much it's of him. It's asking too much. Because and... that he's he's not a starting center for a reason. He is a, a backup big, a very good backup big who who's a scorer. I mean, I, I guess watching him in college and throughout his career, passing is never something I, mm. I thought. Yeah, but Scal, he, he's, he he's, like, he's like Nurk. Mm. Like, I, I would say 100%. Don't put him in that position. So I don't I don't know if it's on him or Terry because, yo, this was one game and it's a pretty incredible set of circumstances that he generated so many minutes and playing time. But when he was had the ball in his hands and he wasn't next to the paint, I was very nervous about us getting turnovers. Uh, that being said, and, and defensively, he got babied, but I can... I can take that. Like that that's fine just because of the height discrepancy. But there there also, was some Al Horford babies a lot of people. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that dude is a Hall of Famer. And Kyle O'Quinn too babies a lot of people. But I don't know, like the the passing made me very nervous. I mean shit. I saw Kent Bazemore do the same type of mistake with the passing when he dished it in in the, he tried to do a corner pass through a, the crowd of people and it got intercepted it so i should not blame scal for all of the mistakes but it made me a little bit worried and in my mind it lowered the ceiling a little bit on scal Labissier. but if we're talking really that that's that's fascinating because i've honestly the way i've felt about scal these past games especially with, with zach out i have felt so much more comfortable in the fact that we could potentially move Whiteside because we have Scal as our backup center. Like, oh, I'd, I'd be, f I'd be frightened. No, if you have a, if you have Nurk and Scal, okay, hell yeah, yeah let's go. Okay, yeah, I, I, I said backup. With, I didn't say start. Okay, okay with, with uh, if we have Nurk, then I'm less scared. But I, it definitely it 
passing ain't his motif, and I get that. And I'm judging on one game, but I think a lot of people judge on one game. Again, bro, it's about safety. And when we had a big, when we shit, dog. If I'm being critical about Scalabissier, we got a lot of critical motherfuckers in this community. But Uh, all I'm saying is, he is a bench player. And what have we always said on this podcast? Bench players are specialists. He specializes in scoring the basketball. I think so. Maybe it's on Terry from putting him in a passer position, and I get that. Shit was rough. Um. I also want to talk about Kent Bazemore's decision making and free throw shooting. That those those two missed free throws, that was a bummer. Yeah. And that that last that last possession, man. I when I saw it, I was like, oh shit! Somebody somebody did the Robin Lopez back when they should have had. At the time, I did not know who it was. Oh no! But, what, what possession are you talking about? Oh, last possession when when your doppelganger, doppel. No, fuck guy. that guy. I, he is not worthy of being in my presence. No. That dude was flopping all over the court. Oh, oh Fuck shit. that guy. Yeah, but uh, that last possession of the game where it looked like it was uh, uh, Tolliver's rotation, I was like, oh, fuck. Somebody's, somebody's out of position so badly. And then I... I I really want to know what everybody's responsibilities were for that given play because I saw on Twitter Anthony Tolliver said that was his role was to sag back on that corner three. So that that play, because I've, I've seen it a lot, is like, damn, if it was me, I would have had him switch. That last play was a – that sucked. But it was a, they generated a very nice shot for a three-point shooter. And sometimes you win games, you shouldn't, and you lose games, you should. Mm. or you know what i mean yeah no i mean shit like the fact that we were upset by such a big margin with four centers being hurt i'm counting zach as a center yeah uh so it 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 makes me wonder how long do you think hassan's out so hassan and rodney are probable that that report came out right before we podcasted so okay we the are... Rodney Hood injury did not scare – it scared me at the oh, time. Oh, it scared the hell out of me, and I'll tell you why. So we're watching the game from our vantage point, and in – I think it was the third quarter, um, I told tell Olga, I'm like, oh, shit, Rodney tweaked his ankle. And you see him going up and down the court, like trying to walk it off. I was like, okay, he got through that one. And then he takes a huge fall on his tailbone where I heard that shit from the opposite yeah, end of the I, arena. I did too. In the 300 level – and then he he's still playing and he's coming back and I'm like Jesus Christ like is, is this guy gonna like be okay and like sure enough third times the unfortunate charm Ben Simmons sticks out his his shoulder bumps knees with, with Rodney and he has to go back and I'm seeing Nurk hold him and like as a Blazer fan knees give me anxiety you just always think yeah, yeah Blazer PTSD exactly but you know apparently both he and Hassan are probable for Monday night's game uh, against the Warriors. So we can have a little sigh of of relief there. But, you know, just, just going back kind of to that last Sixers play, you know, we did leave 2.2 seconds left on the clock. That is, that is an enormous amount of time mm. in today's NBA. And all I hope for is that they learn from that because, mm. frankly, they should have never gotten that type of a, an attempt. You should never be able to run a screener and, and get a short corner three. I mean, totally. you look back when Dame hit that shot against Houston, 
Houston should have never allowed Dame that open of a look. Mm. I mean, the, it shouldn't happen. Somebody either missed their rotation or Terry mismanaged the situation. All I ask is that they learn from it and it doesn't happen again because we're going to find ourselves in scenarios where we're up by one or two with minimal time on the clock and we're going to have to make a play. But, and I'm not trying to sound like too much of an optimist, the fact of the matter is we're three and three and we're two plays away from probably being five and five one. And, yeah, yeah. Dame shot goes down in San Antonio. You probably win that game in overtime with how fucking hot he was. And they miss a shot at the buzzer. You win the game. So we're not that far away. And you go back to opening night against Denver. We were up 12. It's it's just we're not getting blown out. We're not even close to being 100%. We have a lot of new players. And I'm really liking the progression I'm seeing. Uh, one thing that I tweeted out, I don't think people are giving Rodney Hood uh, enough love or that that story just hasn't been been told. Yeah, but the narrative isn't. His stats this year have been incredible. You're looking at over 14 points a game on 53% shooting from the field, 52 from downtown and he's grabbing you four boards and shooting about 77% from the line, a steal and a block per game. He is that bonafide small forward shooting guard third option that we have been waiting. Like in that game, every time he took a three, just his, his comp, you could just, his confidence was outrageously high that game. You could feel his confidence Mm -hmm. in just how he was releasing the ball and just, he had a rhythm and, He's been magnificent this year, especially early on. He's taken a couple threes that I'm like, damn, you got to have a lot of confidence to take those. Yeah, humongous just... cojones. I, I, I'm, I am loving Rodney Hood. I mean, oh, absolutely, you... and he's a bargain financially, like you mentioned. Like we have been on that Hood bandwagon since we acquired him. Like we, Shit, knew... I, I cursed him at Duke with my love for him. I am, I have the absolute worst luck with uh, falling in love with players in March Madness, and I. Do, oh, do. oh bro shit no denzel valentine as well if we're gonna use updated uh but yeah like i cursed him with my love uh in 2014 the 2010s yeah so uh i, wa- I want to mention why i wasn't nervous about uh rodney hood and you know you've said it yusuf nurkic was carrying him not a medical professional so it makes me think it makes me think Okay, it's not as serious as it looked if it's just Nurkic right there with him and no person that's um, a professional at, at, at health shit is with him. And it was like, okay, it's not as bad as it looked. He might be out the next game, but damn. that was, it, it, was a rough, it, it looked rough, but once, once it was just Nurk, I was like, okay, I can calm down a little bit. Um, the one, but, uh, Yeah, I've, I've been... Oh, Hood's been great, man. And you like, know, I need to get that that number five jersey because I, I think he's going to be a staple on this team. Yeah, he's getting another contract from us for years. Sure. Like, and he loves it here. Like, the team throwing him that surprise birthday party like brought him to tears. Like, he just knows he's part of a family, and mm-hmm. like he's he's easily a top five player in terms of fandom for me. And the ability for him to post up smaller guards. Now he's got that three ball cooking. I think he's going to become an even better defender. But like to have that option, that outlet, mm-hmm. he had that big three against OKC as well to, to really ice that game. Like mm-hmm. I just feel so confident 
in him right now, and, and I think he's only getting better. I, I, I really believe he's that long-term answer at the small forward. And you, you, you already know, okay, Dame, long-term answer. CJ, same. Hood, Nurk, hopefully Collins. But then you've also got trade ships. That's why I am so high on this roster mm-hmm. because they're, they're only going to get better. And you look at Rodney Hood, he hasn't even been with the team a full calendar year. Yeah, this is his first offseason with the team. Um, the one thing when you posted that on uh, the Holy Backboard Twitter, and it's at Holy Backboard, right? The Twitter? Hell yeah. Okay, I got it right. I'm really bad at remembering Twitter handles. You're bad at remembering your own handles. I'm absolute trash at hand remembering stuff. But the one thing I saw that I really loved when you posted it was that he was getting defensive statistics because he... With him getting steals and blocks, it means that he, if the shot isn't falling that particular day, he can still contribute to the team because of his defense. And when he was in college, when I fell in love with him, I realized that he was scoring dependent for his production. And if you can defend when your shot's not falling, it means you can be on the floor in clutch situations and we're not worried about you. If he wasn't, if he wasn't getting those defensive stats and more rebounds, you'd look at his stats and be like, oh shit, that's Eric Gordon, that's Derek Anderson. But the fact that he's contributing in these other stats means that we can trust him in those clutch moments. Obviously, you can trust him in those clutch moments because of what he did in the playoffs, but this year... He's he's adding more stuff to his game, and I think that's really huge for Hood when he comes back from this injury. Quick update. I said Kent Bazemore wasn't 30. He is actually 30 years old. But I, I Is digress. he still younger than you? Yeah, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> I also want to talk about Mario Hazonia. To me... Refs he, hate him. Let's make it a Twitter handle. <laughs> to me, he is our new Alfaru Kaminu, and I mean that in the best way possible. And what we saw was he's a tank. Mm-hmm. He's got the height that Aminu has, but he's got some mass to him where he was able to to defend on the perimeter against Ben Simmons pretty well. Yeah, he 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 made Ben Simmons really annoyed, especially when Ben Simmons likes to post up wings and guards for those easy running hooks and post shots. I just noticed the effort, too, on defense from him, sliding his feet, staying in front of his man. I mean, this was really the type of performance that when we kind of started to see him in preseason, you're like, okay, this is what it could materialize into. But you're talking 11 points, 12, 12 rebounds, four assists. Two from three from the three-point line, right? Two for four, but he, two. I think he had his first two. Yeah, if he, he had can, the first two threes that he took. Yeah, if and he that was can huge become just even a consistent three-point shooter, like I love how he's able to finish in traffic. He's able to handle the ball. So I think that's what separates him from Aminu is he's able to handle the ball without you really being scared for your life. Absolutely. There were times, and obviously he's going to have to work on his three-point percentage and being respected in the league, but there were, there were times when Ben Simmons, who was defending him, just said, all right, screw it. I'm just going to be in the middle of the paint and make you have to pass it around and work. So he he needs to be more consistent with a three. And if that happens, he could he he, he could be on the floor in clutch situations. Right now, the, with how I saw Ben Simmons just disrespecting the three, he can't really be there in the first the final five minutes when we're fully healthy. 
All right, Sage, we recapped the week that was. Let's take a quick commercial break from our sponsors. We have got a couple fan questions. We got to preview the week's slate of games, four of them in total. And we'll get right back to it after this word from our sponsor. For you, the listeners of Holy Backboard, Grammarly is offering a free download of the Grammarly software. Grammarly's AI-powered products help people communicate more effectively. Grammarly helps you write mistake-free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, and spelling mistakes while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements. To download Grammarly today, go to getgrammarly.com forward slash holy backboard. Again, that's getgrammarly.com forward slash holy backboard to download Grammarly for free. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Holy Backboard Podcast. Dustin and Sage here with you on this Sunday evening. Sage, got a couple of fan questions. Hell yeah. And they are all from at trends official underscore. A lot of good questions as well. He says, Blake Griffin, Kevin Love, LaMarcus Aldridge, Draymond Green. Who would be the best option to trade for if we are to include Hassan Whiteside in that package when Nurkic is healthy before the trade deadline of those so, four, who would you target? Who is the so, best fit? So is it the same trade? Like, no, I, I it, I'm reading the question as you're going to have to give up more for a guy like Blake Griffin and Draymond Green than you would a Kevin Love. Kevin Love, let's. Be- He's playing really fucking well for Cleveland right now. Like he's rebounding at such a unsustainable rate right now. And he's it reminds a... me so much of his Minnesota days that I'm yeah. just like. I think that. How much would a Blake Griffin trade hurt us? Like, uh, what? Give me an example of what the trade would be. Like Hassan plus, what? I think so. Each one of these players... I'm unwilling to trade Anthony Simons. Yes, I completely agree. I think in each one of these trades, when you're looking at a player, they all come with with their pros. There's opportunity cost. There's opportunity cost for each and every one of those players. So I want to know what the opportunity cost is. And so when you specifically mention Kevin Love or Blake Griffin, to me, injury history plays a, a huge role in what I'm willing to give contract plays a huge role in what I'm willing to give. I think any trade is going to start with us on Whiteside. Um, he just makes the most amount of money. I think mm. I think we just need Bazemore's wing defense off the bench more if you have a healthy Nurkic. It just makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot more sense, yeah. I think any trade is going to include Nasir Little because Whew. he's still a first-round prospect. Okay. And I think you're probably going to have to give up Gary Trennan of some picks for Blake. I don't think you need to give up Gary. I mean, the salary's already been hit. Uh, if you can keep Trent, I would prefer to. It's, it, by, by no means, it's not a deal breaker, but I don't think... What about first-round picks for Blake? I mean, I, I think... Here's what I think Detroit would, would start with. Okay, we're going to want Hassan, Zach, Nasir, and a first-round pick. Would would Detroit prefer Kent Bazemore, though, because they already have Andre Drummond? To be honest, I don't know what Detroit wants. I think Detroit probably would just be making that trade because they were out they of, want to get rid of the, out of the playoff top. potential, the, the playoff picture, and yeah, they just want to shed salary. So it doesn't, doesn't really matter if it's Hassan or okay. Baseball. Um, 
And I think obviously the highest price player on that list is a Draymond Green. Um, I don't think you. St- I think you probably see that package maybe plus a pick or two. And just, they don't want to. They don't want to help a rival. I mean, I, I know. I just don't think Draymond Green's really going to be on the market. Yeah, I, that, I think we're going to see the Golden State Warriors have a 1997 Spurs year. Yep, that's what I'm thinking. Injuries force them to tank. They're going to play it smart. They're, I honestly don't think we see Steph Curry back this year. Uh, they may trade D'Angelo Russell to find. Did a better you see how scary team. that injury, that potential injury was? I didn't see the injury happen. I, I thought he was going to break his arm. I thought he was going to break his arm, bro. So you know he's out at minimum three to four months, and you know obviously Clay's hurt. Draymond's already dinged up, and, and to me Draymond is if Draymond is that piece. I think yeah, I think he is the missing for, piece. A Buck Williams missing piece. It is Draymond Green. He fits this system to a T. Mm-hmm. He would be he's my number to one. Portland, what Kevin Garnett was to the Celtics in 20, 2008. 2008. Yeah. So is he the number one for both of us? I mean, if, I, I think out of it's, the four? it's Draymond here in the rest are. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say, I don't know how healthy Blake Griffin is either. He, ha- he hasn't played yet. It, it, he is probable for this week. But again, are we? I don't want to trade. I don't want the opportunity cost to be so much for an injured Blake Griffin year. I completely agree, and it, it would take to me Zach Collins is, and yeah, you take away Zach Collins's future production because if you have Blake Griffin and he's healthy, he's taking thirty six minutes. And I think if you're trading Zach Collins, it is for Draymond Green. I mean, ultimately, you would love. To have Draymond mentor Zach, but you have to give to get. Yeah, exactly. Yep. I probably don't trade Zach for the other three on that. Draymond's the only one that moves the needle for me. Yeah, yeah. I, and also I'd be willing to do that as well. Look at Lamarcus Aldridge. The Spurs right now they're four and one in the Western Conference. They're not going to trade him because they have the 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 hope and fantasies of being deep into the playoffs. Yep. So unless that team derails, he is going to be on that roster. So you remove him. I don't know if it's going to be one of these four players. I do think Portland is going to eventually make a move. But again, we're, we're a ways from that. To me, if I had to rank them, it would be Draymond, Griffin. Oh, boy. Kevin Love, if you keep Zach Collins, and then LaMarcus. I think Love's... That's, 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 my, that's my list as well. I, I don't think, think... If Love can stay healthy, his shooting... And passing, frankly, and rebounding. Frankly, yeah, I mean, with, with Nurkic, I mean that that's a really tough, tough. That's five a great. That's a great big man combo, Kevin Love and Nurkic, and even Kevin Love and Zach Collins. So if you're yeah. able to keep Zach Collins and just really maybe throw in a couple picks, um, I like that. I am not on board. If we could turn injuries off, like it was NBA 2K, how much higher would Blake Griffin be on your list? Like I know he's second, but it's a big it's a big jump. How much would it be? Uh, if I if you could guarantee me that Blake Griffin would not get hurt, if I guarantee you seventy four games for the next four years, how much higher is he on that list? He might be number one, just because I know the cost to acquire him would be cheaper than acquiring Draymond Green. Like injuries, I'll pay his contract. Like if if you could guarantee injuries were off, but but again. You can't. Uh, yeah, but, yeah, I mean, that's why I said if this was NBA 2K, not reality. Do you think it's more like a Robin, Robert Covington level uh, player we get back? 
I think you got to find a, if you're going to move a $24 million expiring contract, it needs to, to, to quote Neil has to move the needle. I think we have enough Robert Covington type of players and, you know, Covington specifically doesn't, I know he was the, the, the flavor of the, the off season for Blazer fans, but no, give me Rodney Hood and Ken Bazemore any day of the week. But speaking, you didn't know Robert Covington plays the four now and has a really high rebounding rate because of that inflated rebounding rate because of that one one might might notice i do now <laughs> but, i watch a lot of basketball to know but this speaking of baysmore we have another question from uh trends official it says can baysmore be the sixth man that hood was for us last year he seems like he can on some nights and others i'm not really sure about him he's what more high variance with uh the offense but he does bring it defensively it's just, are you with? He kind of has that Aminu streak to him because he tries to to do high, high skill, uh, th- uh, offensive moves, and sometimes he just doesn't have the skill for it. I think that absolutely, if you're counting on him to be the sixth man of this team, he can do that defensively and offense. It's just like the cherry on top. But I think he could be our sixth man. I'm, I I like base and the inconsistencies I think come from a, a new role, a new city, a new franchise, uh, new teammates. And when you look at him play, when he does, and we like we talked about with Scal, when he does the things that he does he's well. good at, and he stays in his box, he's a very strong player. Catch and shoot threes, pull up dribble, you know, mid range jump shots aggressive defense playing those passing lanes what gets kent in trouble is when he puts the ball on the floor and tries to make a play he is not Mm -hmm. a playmaker Mm -hmm. if he can just get into that role where i'm just going to be a spot-up shooter just like what they want me to do just like batum just like aminu just like harkless plus matthews he can thrive and i think he's trying to do a little bit too much but i love the energy and heart and hustle he plays with on a nightly basis, and I would expect the the variance to start to even out as he gets, you know, accustomed to everything. And that's that's really the theme of this podcast is just let's get accustomed with one another. But you know, to answer to answer your question, I, I'm not too concerned. I really like Bays, and I hope we keep him here long term. So that that is a dribble pass shoot. Would you keep him long term? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, he's at, not going at to what get... price. I mean, I, I don't see how – if Rodney Hood came back for the taxpayer mid-level and we have Baze's bird rights, I mean, he just had a baby. He loves it He loves it out here. He knows he's not getting $17 million per season again. And Jody Allen has has proven that as long as we have a winner, she's willing to pay the luxury tax. I don't know. What do you – Baysmore, $8, 9000000 million a year? I would do that in a second. I mean, I would essentially – if. If Bazemore got offered the same contract that the Orlando Magic offered Alfaru Camino, done deal. Done deal. delivered. It's on. Uh, there. I mean, I think there is a price point for. And everyone has a price, and I think if he's less than like thirteen percent of the cap, I'm all about it. Um, and he's still shooting thirty eight percent from three so far this year, which is magnificent. And he, I mean, he brings a lot defensively. And He's aggressiveness. A good, good locker guy, good culture guy. Like Baze is a good dude. And I know I've heard people throw out, well, Portland can have up to $20 million in, in cap space. Well, that's if you let every single free agent walk. And how many dope elite level none, A plus none, talent have none. go to Portland? 
Well, there's not even that on the market. Like they're they've all. Yeah, signed. I mean the free agency. Yeah, um, so 2020 uh, sucks. Exactly. So, so if you have to pay up, you just do it because frankly, it's one, it's not our money. Two, all we want is a banner to hang in that arena. Like you. So, you, w- how mad would you if if we got one of those needle? <laughs> No, I was about to say needle threader. Ne- uh, raising of the ceiling type of players. Would you be mad if Bays was involved in that trade? It, I mean, no. It just depends okay. on what the package is. If you say, oh, we gave up Bays, Collins, and Simons, I'm like, Jesus Christ. is That's is a lot. Yeah, we get an AD? No, fuck AD. <laughs> fuck that guy. Oh, man. You would love... You... He, you would change your tune on Anthony Davis if he came here. He's not he my type type of player. He <laughs> reminds me so much of, of Lamarcus in terms of his I just dude. Don't, I don't think he's down for the cause. No, maybe Lamarcus is for the Spurs now, but like I'm ADS to get kicked to the nuts a few more times, but um, yeah, like I, I could, I definitely think Baysmore is more likely to be on the team next year than Hassan, for instance. I I definitely could see a, a rotation of. Uh, of Rodney and Kent being a legitimate 48 minute thing. Like I could see Kent Bazemore being the direct backup and get and playing a few minutes with each other. But I, Baze, I, I would love to see Bays retire as a blazer just because as long as the, the opportunity cost isn't too high. All right, Sage, let's go into this week's slate of games. I went one and two last week. You went two and one overall. I am a miserable two and four. You're at four and two, so you got the the early two game lead. But we got four games to predict uh, at Golden State tomorrow night at the Clippers, uh, nationally televised on TNT on Thursday. Finally, get to come home. We got Brooklyn on Friday, November eighth, and then we got Atlanta on Sunday, on November tenth. Let's dive in to these games uh, fast and furiously. Golden State Warriors, not your father's warriors anymore sage they look abysmal one in five currently and just a, a litany uh, of injuries you've got obviously steph curry's out with the hand dream on green uh steve kerr said and that quote will miss a couple of games and uh, he has something wrong with his his left index finger yeah he apparently he can't dro- handle the ball with that hand Obviously, Clay Thompson is out. Uh, Kavon Looney is out for a while. And you also have D'Angelo Russell, who is day-to-day. And as as we talked about earlier, it looks like Portland is going to get some reinforcements. Rodney Hood, thank Shans, is... Probable. Okay. Probable. Hassan Whiteside, after he took that left, uh, his left knee, ran into I thought it was going to be a lot hit. worse. I, I got some... I got some... Blazers PTSD off that one. <laughs> he is probable. Uh, Sage, what do the Blazers have to do to get this win, and what's your X factor? I mean, I think the Blazers just out talent. I mean, just think of how many preseasons or postseasons, not preseasons, postseasons, the Warriors have ended our season. I I don't think this is the team they take lightly. I think the real question is who takes the shots for Golden State? Where does that production come from? Because you know it's going to be the Warriors play at one of the highest pace in the uh, NBA because of how ass their team is. You want to run up the possession totals just to give yourself a chance at winning. So who's going to be that main that main uh person we have to worry about? 
I know Jordan Poole is getting a lot of run. I know Alex Burks. There's a point guard that I forget right now. Let me look it up. So I don't Kai know. Bowman. Kai Bowman. I lost a lot of money because I did not put Kai Bowman on my daily fantasy rosters. They've Fuck got you. the rookie uh, Eric Paschal. He uh, looks good. He legitimately looks good. Glenn and Robinson go- the third. I mean, they, medium they just, dog. They. <laughs> you you can't give him big dog nip. No, you he's can't. a. He yeah. So uh, and then they got Willie Cauley Stein, who we both actually like. It's it's just gonna be a. This is the worst. The worst team. We gotta just smack the absolute shit out of them. I think that we're gonna see Anthony, Anthony run that second unit for a long time in that game. Um, the person I would watch out for is Alex Burks because he always carves out a nice little usage right off the uh, bench, and then Eric Pascal actually does look good in his uh, run with the worst team I've ever seen. Yeah, for me, my X factor is going to be the Blazers themselves. Like I, 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 and I mean that in a sense of this feels like a Philly trap game. It feels like a trap in the sense that, okay, we're heading back out on the road. We've got a lot of days before we go on national television against the Clippers. We're coming off an emotional victor or emotional defeat. And it, it's, it's like the thunder because we had such a history with them, but then you go into the arena and, and none of the, there's so many different faces. It's mm. not Russ. It's not Paul. I mean, Stephen Adams wasn't even there. Yeah, Nerlens Noel. And then you're gonna go play Golden State, a team that has been a thorn in your, you know, side for the past four or five seasons, and none of the the familiar faces are gonna be there as well. Can Portland mentally get themselves up to play this game against a team that is more like the Charlotte Hornets than the Golden State Warriors? Mm-hmm. Can they play a cleaner game than they did against the Oklahoma City Thunder? Yes, you want to get a victory, but I think you want to feel good about this. You one. want to curb stomp them. I think Portland does need to have a convincing victory here early in the season and watch the turnovers. I think if if it's a high turnover game, it's a tendency that Portland is not locked in and mentally they're they're not ready to go. And I think three point percentage is going to play a big factor here, especially with Portland going without Zach Collins for the foreseeable future. Thankfully, Hassan likely will be back, but the Blazers are shooting it as a team 40% from, from downtown, second best in the NBA. So if they can continue over this week stretch of keeping it dialed in from distance, you know, I really like the Blazers chances. So I think they, they are their own X factor. Like they are the only ones in this game that can beat themselves. If they can overcome that and take Golden State seriously, and I really hope they do because, you know, we are a 500 basketball team at the moment. That's what our record says we are. This is this is one of the most earlier must-win games that, that I can remember. I think things could start to unravel quite a bit if you don't pick up this victory against the Warriors. But I do have the Blazers winning. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be close early on. But and then we just... I think second half, we, we pull away. So yeah, I got the Blazers I, winning. I got that one. So we're going against the Clippers next, right? We will be playing the Clippers Thursday night on TNT in Los Angeles. Uh, obviously, they are one of the best teams in the league talent-wise. They still will not have Paul George, but they are 4-2 and two on this young season. Did Familiar they play a face? game before this? Um, or yes, after? Yes, they, they have a home-and-home. Home. Okay. So they play the 
Milwaukee Bucks on Wednesday, and then they play us on on Thursday. So one of those games, Kawhi will not play. And I think I there's know. a non-zero chance that Lou Williams joins him. Lou Williams joins him because he's an older player. He's played a lot of minutes. He is second on the team with minutes played. Like there, yeah, it's a non-zero chance that Lou Williams also sits out this game. Yeah, so they will either rest him Wednesday against the Bucks or Thursday against the Blazers. Is Wednesday uh, ESP? It has to be an ESPN game, right? You'd assume just because it's like Kawhi and Giannis going against each other. Let's look real quick. It certainly is. Or the Clippers team's going to say F you too. Is it the Blazers or is it the uh... – I, I would predict, and this is what I'll base my prediction off of, I think Kawhi plays against the Milwaukee Bucks and rests against us. With all of our injuries, it's probably a better bet to go full strength against the reigning uh, MVP. MVP and Giannis <laughs> and the Milwaukee Bucks, who were the only team to win 60 games last year, than uh, against the Portland Trailblazers. Do you think that Lou would sit out as well because he's played no. every game? Okay. He's played every game so far this season. I there is going to be a game where he sits out. Probably, I'm just, yeah. I mean, I I don't know. You're asking me questions that I I just have no idea to. And I'm looking at stats right now, and you're not. I'm looking at the Clippers' stats right now, and you're, I don't assume you are. Um, I think the Blazers get this done. Honestly, if if what we are talking through happens, yes, I think the Blazers win this game because it's. It doesn't make sense for the Clippers to go full bore against a team with four injuries, three injuries, when you got the Milwaukee Bucks at uh, that. Yo, each game matters, and especially against the Eastern Conference, you want to get those wins. I mean, hmm. if we're assuming Kawhi doesn't play, I think we get the win. If Kawhi says, you know, we're getting this, I'm going to play this game and screw the nationally televised games against Giannis Antetokounmpo. I think we lose. I think Kawhi playing is a big deal. Um, yeah, absolutely, especially yeah. with how banged up we are. But I think in this game, we're going to see a lot of Rodney Hood, and I think he's going to go to work, especially against those smaller backcourt. Yeah, Lou Williams and Landry Shamit. Landry Shamit, Pat Bev. Uh, Dame always plays Bev well. He gets hyped for the Pat Bevs. This is a nationally televised game. I think we can see big, big Dame time, so – I like the Blazers in this one. My X factor to watch on the Clippers is Montrezl Harrell. He always seems to get. Them oh, he fired gets up. biz against us. Yeah. I mean, he is a high energy guy. We're gonna need Hassan's gonna need to play. He's gonna need to box him out because you know Tolliver and Scal really aren't known for the rebounding prowess. Maybe it's Mario who who draws that assignment, but we're gonna have to keep him off of the boards. But so we both have Blazers getting a dub. So, are you? Th- Dribble pass shoot is Hassan Whiteside playing more than 26 minutes in this game? Pass. He hasn't played more than 26 minutes the entire season. Damn it! I want that. I want that shit to change one day. So I'm shooting it. Because the even if Kawhi sits, they still have some pretty good. They're a very bigs. good team. No, I mean Absolutely. they still they have some great bigs in Montrez Harold. I mean you gotta you gotta defend on, on Zubac because he could kill you. Jamichael Green's a damn good rotation big. Pat Pat. Yeah, but nah, Pat, he sucks. So I mean that even if Kawhi's out, they have to come with the the realness against this team because they're they could still kill you. I mean, they're they're Landry Shamit could have his ceiling game and hit eight threes. There's a lot of good players on this team. 
But if what we've talked about with Kawhi sitting this game, more than likely, I think we win. All right, moving on to Brooklyn, a team that has, I think, grossly underperformed so far this year, just sitting at two and four, have a lot of, I think, wonderful moments in terms of coming back from 14 to beat the Houston Rockets and also not so wonderful moments losing to the Memphis Grizzlies, uh, needing a last second he from Kyrie to beat the lowly Knicks. To me, this looks like Kyrie and the other four. With this team, it's different than in other years. So last year we or I talked about how awful they are at defending opposing big. So this could be a, and this is still true because DeAndre Jordan has a narrative of being a good defender. In reality, is not. Nope. And then DeAndre Jer- Jordan low key shouldn't be in the NBA. So he gets rebounds at a high clip. That's why. But and Jared Allen is awful at defending him. I mean, like it, it, it was. It's such a big discrepancy for opposing bigs to just absolutely eat upon the uh the uh Brooklyn Nets like I I I remember from last year it was like a five extra rebounds per game for opposing centers that shit hasn't changed even though DeAndre Jordan's there but additionally defensively they are awful at stopping three pointers like bottom five defending threes so I could see us generating a lot of three pointers because we got shooters I mean, you look at the Brooklyn Nets, and it's an interesting schedule that they have. They've only played two road games, losing to Memphis and Detroit. And they play the Pelicans tomorrow night on Monday. But they have this four-day, three-day layoff. They don't play until Friday in Portland, which kicks off a five-game road trip. I think that plays in our favor that they've been sitting around Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Then they have to wait till Friday night to play. I think Portland being on that second night of a back-to-back actually helps their chances of winning this game. Dame has said he likes playing back-to-backs. He'd rather just kind of get them out of the way than having to to wait a day and play. And if he has a good game Thursday, I expect that to translate over into Friday. He always tends to play Kyrie Irving really well. Mm -hmm. I think for me, Portland needs to to defend that three-point arc. I mean, you've got shooters in, in Karis LeVert, Joe Harris, um, shit, even Torian Prince has been hitting threes for them. Yeah, he's at, been really, he's looking really good. And then Spencer Dinwiddie's a nice big guard that they have coming off of their bench. I think this is going to be a game where, again, Dame or CJ is going to have to just go off. Yeah, I, I can see it too. And yeah, I, I think we have to be very, very careful of how we defend these shooters because Joe Harris plays a shitload of minutes. And if we leave him or Dinwiddie... Yes, absolutely. You you cannot leave Joe Harris. You cannot leave Karis LeVert. I I think you want Kyrie putting up 25-plus points. Yeah, you want him to just ignore his... So you just defend the other four players on the floor. Let him dribble, let him go, you know, and one mixtape tour, whatever he wants to do. Let him score 40. I, I, I Just keep everyone else quiet. My X Factor will be the bench. I think you look at guys like like Bays, Mario... Even Scal, uh, Penny, obviously. I like our bench much more than theirs. If we have a significant advantage on that end, especially playing at home, you know, the Blazers are looking for their first home victory against an NBA team this year, including preseason. So it's time to give the fans 
something to cheer about at at the RG. Go I think crazy. that's I think but that I, Spencer Dinwiddie Penny's matchup is going to be the 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 that's going to be the game right there what because ooh that's a tough one and this is in Brooklyn oh Portland oh, Portland okay I would give if it was in Brooklyn I would say Brooklyn but I think I think the the X factor is Spencer Dinwiddie versus uh Penny I'm going to go Penny this one so I say the Blazers get this stuff. And it's really hard thinking of X factors and and what to watch for because we are six games into the season. We don't. Yeah, so I mean, like the stat, like I mentioned a bunch of stats. Yeah, I mentioned these stats, and there's some things that I absolutely can positively correlate, like being ass at defending centers. The fact that they can can't defend the three point line is six games proven. Like it ain't it ain't the same thing as like ninety. 90 games of Jared Allen being shitty at defending opposing bigs. So here's where it gets interesting. Portland wraps up the week against the Atlanta Hawks and Trey young is out. Is he out for this game? Uh, according to Shams, uh, Sharnia of the Atlantic, he is expected to miss a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And then John Collins also injured his uh, ankle against oh shit miami and uh it so are we assuming he plays he's not listed in their injury report okay, they, so. they have alan crab right now who is uh not expected to return until mid to late november um chandler parsons is day-to-day and so is evan they have so many god they have so many former blazer they have so many 2016 and oopsie doozies oh that team is just destined to kind of fall and fall hard this year so mm. with atlanta they, well, first of all, the, the complete game plan changes without Trey Young. Oh, absolutely. Like, yeah. he is a dynamo. Like, running the pick and roll, the limitless range, he looks absolutely like the future of, of the NBA. Like, he and Luka, mm. I mean, that amazing picks. Him not being in this game, I think, negatively impacts a John Collins. I think it negatively impacts his entire team. Because I would Alan, argue that John Collins actually does better just because of the usage rate. But not, he, I'm not talking about usage in terms of his statistics. Like when I watched Trey Young go up against our defense last year, he, he made John it. Collins better. Mm-hmm. Like he was getting him alley oops, he was getting him easier looks around the paint because everyone had to focus on Trey. And I'm not trying to take anything away from Collins because I think he's a fantastic player, but I don't know if he's Anthony Davis where you just give him the ball and say, okay, go out and get us 35 points. So, uh, so they've been putting a Cam Reddish at point. He's starting at point, and I think his minutes limit is thirty-five minutes per game minutes limit. So we're dealing with a Cam Reddish point guard, but you can't say that he is the only ball handler because they got DeAndre Brembry. And if you have you seen him play yet? I got ninety-five on my back like I'm DeAndre Brembry. <laughs> Dude is a fantastic combo guard legitimately he would be a really cool six man for most teams in the nba probably not ours but he he gets he is the engine that keeps it running so where cam cam reddish and deandre hunter deandre hunter's minutes are at 35 now bembry is the most productive guard ish player 
Um, Kevin Herter's on a minutes limit. He he said in a recent article that his knee feels weird. If I if I remember the quote right, his knee feels weird. He's on like a twenty minute limit at this recording on October th- or November third. Um, so it's it's a lot of it's a lot of the the new draft picks. Jabari Parker also is getting twenty four minutes a game. So when he's in, we gotta attack whoever he's guarding. So I see I see Mario Hazonia having a huge game against the Jabari Parker's trash ass defense. It's a if they have a lot of wings, but they aren't ready for this big time. Like that that injury to Trey Young is just so huge for like the the slow development process of Cameradish and DeAndre Hunter. You're absolutely right. You know, looking at that roster, to me, this has to be a game where Damon and CJ just need to win their matchups, mm-hmm. whether that's scoring the basketball or driving addition to Hassan because they have no other big man other than Alex Len, who, who's really... Who's a foul monster, first and foremost. So and their I, center rotation is Alex Len, Bruno Fernando, and Damian Jones. Yeah, so big And big Damian guys. Jones is... Uh, Losing to Bruno Fernando, who's a rookie. So my X factor is Hassan Whiteside. If we get Hassan like we got in Sacramento on opening night against Denver when he's getting, you know, you know, either 22 points or 16 and 19, maybe maybe we can get the all Hassan Whiteside's going to get some good ass games this week. If we can get that all elusive lob connection working, even some drive and dish. Uh, I think this game is predicated on Damon CJ winning their matchup. Not necessarily looking to score, but breaking down the defense, finding the other shooters. Forcing or, them to react. Yes, or finding Hassan down low. Um, I like the Blazers. I got him winning. I know four in a week with everything that's gone on feels a little weird, but that's just kind I, of how I feel. I, I think they're gonna gonna go four and zero, and next week when we record this podcast, it, it could we could be spouting out a completely different tune, like. You're looking at a team that could be seven and three over the first ten games, and you look and you're looking back like, hell yeah, I take that every day of the week. You take that when you have a fully healthy roster. Mm. I, I think we can both say if if the team decides to play those guys, it'd be a three and one week because I, I also have a four and one a week with the caveat being Kawhi Leonard is out that game. And I think it's important that Portland takes advantage of this because, you know, looking ahead to the schedule, the following week you have to go to Sacramento again and you get the defending champion Raptors um, on a back-to-back at home. But then you head out for that six-game road trip. You really want to give yourself a margin of error yeah. so that if, if you do go two and four or three and three, it's not the end of the world. So winning games against a, a really depleted Golden State team, against a – frankly, a not good Brooklyn team and a shorthanded Atlanta team. And if you're able to just steal the game against the Clippers, the Clippers game is icing on the cake. Mm -hmm. If you're able to get that, that's fantastic. But three and one, just keep putting together, you know, win two out of three, win three out of four. And all of a sudden you're looking at a 50 win season. It doesn't have to be these massive, you know, 13, 14 game win streaks. But Sage, we've had a long ass podcast. (laughs) Let's Let's wrap this shit up. I love that you say we're just going to smash through all these games and then I happen to take a long, detailed view of each team. I'm a dick. (laughs) All right, so you can hear us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, all the feeder apps that those are. We're available in every podcast format. 
Uh, we got to shout out the people at Dash Radio for putting us on Tuesdays, 2 to 3, on uh, Dash Radio, nothing but Net Radio. And we are available on Blazers Uprising, where you can see the full YouTube video of this uh, this this podcast. And we'll definitely be posting a lot of clips once these games come around, because I think there's been a lot of good information being said. So uh, thank you so much for listening. You're a real one if you have gotten this far. And peace out and hope for a 4 week. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's go!